Well, I've got a couple quick announcements for you this morning before we jump into our study of God's Word and continue our series in the book of uh, Genesis, the story of the life of Joseph. Uh, first of all, I want to remind you that this evening we are having a special baptism informational meeting uh, right here in our temporary sanctuary, the church gymnasium. That's going to be at 6.30 tonight. Pastor Stephen's going to lead this. And uh, this is for any of you who might be interested in being baptized uh, at our baptism services on Sunday, August 23rd. So uh, we're going to have uh, two services that morning as normal here this summer. And uh, if we have enough folks uh, desiring baptism, we'll do baptisms at both of those services that morning. So if you're interested in baptism, uh, maybe you know for sure, hey, I want to be baptized this summer, come out tonight, 630. Uh, if you're just curious about baptism, what what is it? How, what, what do we believe as a church here at Lakes Free about baptism? Maybe you just want some questions answered. Come on out tonight. It's going to be a very informal, great opportunity uh, for Pastor Stephen to share with you what the Bible teaches about baptism, what we as a church affirm and, and practice in regards to baptism, and then the specific details for how those services on August 23rd will look. Uh, what does that mean for you if you come to be baptized? How will that actually uh, play out? So uh, we're excited. It's going to be a great morning that day, a month from, basically a month from today. We're going to have a great time of worship, and we would love for you, if you've never taken that step of obedience and, and that act of faith, uh, to join us. Come out tonight. Join us to be baptized. Uh, it's a great step as a follower of Christ, a great way to honor the Lord. The, uh, the next thing I want to mention, uh, I shared last week with you, but again, that same Sunday, August 23rd, we're going to be having an open house where we're going to invite you that afternoon to come in. I believe it's at 4 o'clock uh, to come in and see all of the renovations that have taken place. We're really close to getting all those wrapped up now. It's really exciting, and uh, the other end of the building is looking fabulous, and we can't wait to show it off to you guys. So we'll give you more uh, details about that, but you can just mark your calendars. That Sunday afternoon is going to be that open house. Now, as we look forward to the fall and our transition back into the sanctuary for worship, um, I want to invite you to begin thinking about a couple things. Uh, we have some opportunities for service where we could use some help as we move back into our regular sanctuary. Uh, we need some new ushers. Some of our usher uh, teams have been uh, depleted a little bit over this season of COVID-19 and all the transition we've gone through. So if that's something that interests you, serve as an usher. Uh, we have a rotating schedule for that, a rotating schedule. So uh, it's not a real long-term commitment, but it's a, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a great way to serve and bless our church family. So I'd encourage you to think about that. If you've been looking for an opportunity to serve and get involved, you can talk to myself, you can call the church office, talk to Pastor Stephen. Any of us would love to help you get connected uh, in that way. We're also looking for people to help with our welcome ministries, our, our greeter teams. So uh, those are all terrific ways to serve. And again, as we transition back into our regular worship, uh, our worship area, our sanctuary, we're going to have greater need for those positions. So Again, I'd encourage you to give some thought to that. Be a great blessing to us. Well, I'm going to move in now to our, uh, our continuation of our story of Joseph and his brothers in Egypt. What a great story it's been the last couple of weeks as we have seen uh, God's work unfolding in this family's life. As we move into our uh, series, our story this morning, I want to just share a, a fun experience I had when I was 15 years old. 
I was at a Christian camp out in California called Hume Lake Christian Camp. It's one of the biggest Christian camps in America. Uh, my dad used to speak out there uh, every summer as a kid when I was growing up. And uh, Hume Lake is just known for high adventure activities, just awesome uh, recreational opportunities. It's a, it's a really just super place. Well, the summer of my 15th year, I found myself at Hume Lake Camp standing on the edge of a hundred foot tall cliff, a sheer drop off right in front of me. And I was wearing a full body harness with a rope attached that was stretched out probably 50 or so feet out across this canyon with a steel cable uh, that was holding this rope that was attached to my body harness. And I was about to do something called the leap of faith. This was one of the uh, adventure opportunities there as part of their uh, high ropes course. Uh, after you go through the whole course, you come to this cliff, and uh, they call it the leap of faith. And, and the idea is, is you step back about 10, 15 feet, and you get a running start, and you jump off of this sheer 100-foot cliff, and you begin to free fall, and then all of a sudden that rope catches you, and you swing out over the canyon. I mean, talk about a thrilling, uh, thrilling adventure. Well, this is what I found myself uh, about to do as I looked over, toes on the edge of this 100-foot drop-off. Now, I need to share some backstory on this. This was actually the third time that I found myself looking over this cliff. You see, the previous two summers, I got to the cliff... I prepared to jump, but there was a disconnect between my mind and my body. I couldn't get myself to jump off that cliff. I was petrified as I looked down and saw this 100-foot sheer drop-off. And so the previous two summers, I had chickened out. And so I was committed. This year, I am going to make the leap of faith. I mean, i got to prove my manhood here. i got to prove my courage. I mean, I'm growing up. i gotta, I got to get over this thing. And, and besides, my younger brother had already done this twice two years earlier. So he had been giving me a lot of grief. So I had found myself on the edge of this cliff trying to muster up the courage to jump. And I can hear my brother, go for it. You know, my dad's cheering me out. Come on, Jason, you can do it. And my brother's reminding me, Jason, I've already done it twice. You know, and he's 11 years old behind me, you know, egging me on. And I'm getting ready to jump. And man, it, just, I, it was just sheer terror looking out over this cliff edge. All of a sudden from behind, I heard, come on, you chicken, hurry up. You're holding up the line. And I looked behind me and here's a 10-year-old little girl given me grief about not jumping off the cliff. So now I really had to do this thing, right? So I mustered up all the courage I could uh, had within me. I closed my eyes and I jumped. And sure enough, I started falling and I thought I was about to die. My whole life flashed in front of me and then the rope caught me and I swung out over that cliff and I screamed like a little girl the whole way. But it was, it was awesome. It was a test. I mean, it was one of those life transition moments, those, those times in life where you overcome a challenge, an obstacle, a test, a trial, and you prove that you have grown. You, you prove that there has been a transformation. Uh, and, and those tests are so important. Many of us have experienced those kinds of tests, whether, whether in school or athletics or in our careers or, or even in similar experiences like that, the, the leap of faith. There are times in our lives where we have major significant things that we go through. 
that shape us, that form us, that, that contribute to making us the person that we are today. And oftentimes in our lives, growth and maturity and transformation can only be measured in these tests of life. And you know something, friends, the same thing is true spiritually. Growth, maturity, transformation. God often uses the tests, the trials, the the hardships, the challenges in our lives to help us grow closer to Him, to, to transform our hearts and our character. It was really interesting. Just yesterday, I was talking to one of my best friends, uh, a brother from here at Lakes Free Church, and his daughter is currently going through basic training. She just graduated from high school, and she signed up to go into the military. She's been at basic training this summer. And my friend was sharing with me how they've been receiving letters from her over the summer, and in each letter, more and more, she's revealing how God's been at work shaping her, molding her. And she was a young girl who was always a follower of Christ, but this experience at basic training has really taken her, taken her faith to the next level. She's sharing with her parents how she's studying God's Word like never before. She's got fellow uh, cadets in basic training that she is uh, praying with each day and studying the Bible. In fact, even today, this very day, she's going to be baptized on her military base by the base's chaplain. And it was so awesome just to hear my friend and his pride and joy about how God had been working through the trials in his daughter's life there at basic training to bring her closer to him. Friends, that's what God does. That's how he works. And in fact, one of the places where we see this reality most clearly in the whole Bible is in Genesis chapters 42 through 44. The story of God reuniting Joseph with his brothers after 22 years over the last couple of weeks if you've been with us here as we've looked at genesis 42 and 43 and now today into 44 and chapters 45 we've been seeing god molding and shaping and transforming this family we, we've seen how god through joseph has been putting jacob's sons joseph's brothers through a series of tests to to determine if if their character had changed, had there been any heart transformation in these guys, the guys who had earlier sold Joseph into slavery into Egypt, basically leaving him for dead, telling their father Jacob that Joseph is gone and he'd been torn to pieces by wild animals. Had there been any heart change in these men? And so Joseph had been putting them through a series of tests, a series of trials to see had there been transformation. We saw two weeks ago, Pastor Stephen shared with us about the grace of guilt and how through these tests Joseph had undertaken with his brothers, God was doing a work of grace through the burden of guilt in their hearts. And then last week we saw how Joseph continued to use that grace of guilt in his brothers' lives, but then welcomed them into his home and and lavished them with kindness and blessing. And we saw scripturally last week how God often uses these two things hand in hand, the grace of guilt and the the blessing of kindness to lead us to repentance. And God was doing this same work of transformation in Joseph's brothers. Today, we're going to find Joseph presenting his brothers with one final test. The ultimate test, in fact. The ultimate test to determine if there had been any kind of positive transformation in his brother's lives. You see, Joseph needed to know, had his brothers changed? He he needed to know, is this family worth saving? 
He, he, he needed to know if there had been any repentance over their past sins and any sign of spiritual growth in their lives. Or were these just the same bunch of scoundrels who had sold him into slavery 22 years earlier? Joseph needed to find out if there had been any change, any transformation. And so today we come to the pinnacle of the story of Joseph and his brothers. We come to the the apex of this incredible story. It's already been a a tremendous story, but today we see the heights. We see the, the culmination of all that we have read up to this point. Today I want to highlight for us two scenes that take place. Two scenes followed with one significant point of application for each of us this morning. The the first scene we're going to look at this morning is a test proving a transformation. A test proving a transformation. And we find this in Genesis chapter 44, verses 1 through 34. Let's read this passage together this morning and let's take a look at this test proving a transformation. If you'll recall, Joseph's brothers had just finished this incredible banquet in Joseph's home. Now again, of course, they don't know that they're in the presence of Joseph. They think that this is just some Egyptian official who is lavishing them with this undeserved, unmerited kindness. They don't know it's Joseph there who's, who's providing all this to them. This is where our story picks up. They've just experienced this great time drinking, being merry with this Egyptian official. And then chapter 44 starts out... Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the, men's, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, the brothers, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks, we we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. The steward of Joseph said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent, innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground. And each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, a a sign of grief and mourning. They tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? 
Now, friends, divination is an occultic practice whereby uh, people seek to gain knowledge or power or foretell the future through occultic spiritual means. I personally don't believe Joseph literally practiced divination. Joseph was not involved in the occult. We, we know from Joseph's character and from the rest of the story that he had remained faithful to Yahweh throughout his time in Egypt. I think he was simply playing a part here in order to continue to test and scare his brothers. So verse 16 picks up, And Judah said to Joseph, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servant, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, Joseph says, Go in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to Joseph and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ear. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, my Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I might set my eyes on him. We said to you, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. Here Joseph is recounting the tests that we've seen over the previous two chapters. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces. This is Jacob speaking of Joseph. He thinks Joseph is gone and dead. And then Jacob said, And I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, if you take Benjamin and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to shale. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, Judah said, Please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go. Let Benjamin go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Man, what a powerful story. I mean, this is just like a story made for, for a movie. The drama here is so incredibly thick. Here in our passage this morning, we find Joseph arranging the ultimate test to discern the true state of his brother's hearts and character. 
Joseph had set up his brothers with an opportunity to revisit the very same scenario that had led to his being sold into slavery in Egypt. He set up the same scenario, except this time the test was over the life of Benjamin. Joseph had sent his brothers away thinking they were heading back to Canaan, thinking they had been incredibly blessed by this Egyptian official. Their sacks were full. He had left all their money with them. They were going home with food for their family. And suddenly they're overtaken by this Egyptian official's steward and probably a contingent of soldiers. And they're stopped and they're accused of stealing a silver cup from the official. They search all of their sacks, and from the oldest down to the youngest, all of their sacks are empty until they come to Benjamin, the youngest son, the last surviving son of Rachel, Jacob's favored wife. And the silver cup is found in Benjamin's sack. And the brothers tear their clothes in grief. The the ultimate sign of mourning in the ancient world because they believe that their brother is doomed. But it's very interesting. While Joseph was testing his brothers to see if they were still the same selfish scoundrels that had sold him into slavery, Joseph was testing his brothers to see would they sacrifice Benjamin the way they had sacrificed me to to get rid of one more of Jacob's favored sons. Would they get rid of Benjamin to to save their own skins? Joseph needed to know, had his brothers changed? And here in our passage this morning, we find that to Joseph's great joy, I mean, imagine Joseph's great joy when he sees his brother's response. To his great joy, Joseph discovers that God had accomplished an amazing work of transformation in his brother's. We see here in our passage that these men, these, these past scoundrels who had sold Joseph into slavery, leaving him for dead, going home and lying to their father that he'd been torn to pieces by wild animals, these men had undergone a 180-degree shift in character. We see this in our chapter this morning and how they mourn over the discovery of the cup tearing their clothes, and that would have been accompanied by great wailing and great grief, believing that Benjamin, Benjamin will be lost to us. We, we then see not only do they mourn over Benjamin tearing their clothes, but they f- refuse to abandon Benjamin. They don't let the officials take Benjamin alone back to the city. They, the brothers, go with Benjamin. We are not abandoning our brother the way we had abandoned Joseph. We see as they come before this Egyptian official, not knowing it's Joseph, we see Judah standing, speaking on behalf of his brothers, confessing publicly their guilt before God. This is the first time the brothers had publicly acknowledged the guilt that they felt in their hearts over what they had done to Joseph. We see the urgent concern for their father, Jacob, in in Judah's pleas before Joseph. Here were these brothers who 22 years earlier could have cared less about their father's grief and mourning about Joseph's disappearance. And now they are urgently pleading for the sake of their father. Please, our father will die if he loses another son. Don't take Benjamin. 
We see Judah's willingness to trade his life for Benjamin's. Judah stepping forward as the leader of the family, the fourth-born son. Stepping forward, assuming the role of leader of the family, saying, take my life, let my brother go. I'll exchange mine for his. Friends, this is an incredible story of transformation. Now, the Old Testament doesn't use this terminology, but we would describe these men as being born again. They had experienced new birth. They had been born again. They had been guilty of their sin. They had confessed their guilt. The fruit of transformation was evident in their response as they pleaded for Benjamin's life. These men had truly been transformed. And what a remarkable story of transformation. You know something, friends, this morning, I know that there are some of you here today. There are probably some of you at home watching online this morning who have been pleading with God for your family, for a loved one, for for God to do a work of transformation in someone's life, someone that you love. And you may have been praying those prayers for years and years. Friends, I want you to notice this work of transformation that we just read was the culmination of 22 years. 22 years of God's work in the hearts of Joseph's brothers. See, friends, God's timeline is not always our timeline. And that should encourage us this morning. It should encourage us this morning when when we have people in our lives who have walked away from the Lord, who are living in rebellion against the Lord, or even struggles that we're wrestling with and burdened with, that that we've been seeking to, to grow and overcome in our own lives. Sometimes God's work of transformation takes the long road. And we don't always understand why that is, but we need to trust Him. Don't ever give up hope, friends. Don't ever stop praying. Because God is a God of transformation. We see that here in the story of Joseph's brothers. Now, it's not just this miracle transformation that we see here in the story today, but we also need to recognize the hand, the hand that was behind this incredible story of transformation. And this leads me to our second scene this morning, a surprise orchestrated by sovereignty. A surprise orchestrated by God's sovereignty. Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 45, the first 15 verses, and see here the culmination, the apex, the climax of the story of Joseph and his brothers. After Judah pleads for mercy from Joseph, again, not knowing he's speaking to his younger brother Joseph, after pleading for mercy, verse four, chapter 45 opens up, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so loud that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. 
And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine which has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come, come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and all that you have seen. Hurry, bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. I can only imagine what an incredible conversation that must have been. Reflecting back on 22 years and God's incredible, amazing grace in their lives. Bringing them back to this point of incredible reunion. What amazing grace, friends. We, we see here in this powerful story, the story of reunion, God's hand clearly at work, the hand of a sovereign God orchestrating the events of this family's life over 22 years. And friends, I want you to notice in verses 5 through 9 of our passage, chapter 45, I want you to notice how four times... It's almost as if Joseph wants to make sure they don't misunderstand what's going on here. Four times Joseph highlights the fact that God was sovereign over all that had transpired. In verses 5 through 9, Joseph says to his brothers, For God has sent me before you, and God sent me before you. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. God has made me Lord over all of Egypt. Over and over again, Joseph declares to his brother, God, 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 yes, you sold me into slavery, but God, his hand, his sovereign hand, was orchestrating all that had transpired. God was involved in this journey every single step of the way. From Joseph being thrown into the pit to being sold to the caravan, from being sold to Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard, to Joseph being seduced by Potiphar's wife and being thrown in the dungeon of Egypt, from the cupbearer and baker of Pharaoh and their dreams and Joseph foretelling their dreams, from the fulfillment of those dreams and Joseph's elevation to the number two position. And he, all of this, friends... All of this, God was at work through fallible, finite, sinful human beings using their freely chosen actions to orchestrate his eternal, sovereign plan for Joseph and his family. God's hand was involved every step of the way. 
Friends, I want to share two reasons this morning why God's sovereignty is such an incredible blessing in our lives. We see it reflected in the story of Joseph and his brothers. The, the, the first reason why God's sovereignty is such a blessing in our lives is because it gives us the ability to hope in the midst of trials. Friends, Joseph had a vision of a big God like we talked about a few weeks ago. And Joseph, from the time he was a 17-year-old boy, had never given up on the dreams that God had given him. The dreams that one day his family would bow before him. Joseph trusted God's revelation and he held on to that hope, believing that God would prove himself faithful. And so Joseph, trusting in God's sovereignty, never wavered. Not in the pit, not in chains as he was dragged down to Egypt, not as he served in Potiphar's house, not as he lived in the dungeon, not as he stood before Pharaoh and was elevated to the second highest position in the land. No, in all of that, Joseph hoped in God's sovereignty in the midst of all that he had experienced, all the trials he had gone through. And friends, when we have a vision of a big, sovereign God, a God who orchestrates our lives, a God who tells us that all of our days have been written out in his book before one of them came to be. Friends, when you know that God, you can hope in the midst of your trials. And not only hope, but worship, but worship. One of my favorite stories in the whole Bible is the story of Job. Job is famous for the incredible trials and hardships he had gone through in his life. The story of Job opens up with Job's family. His, his sons and daughters have been killed in a tragic accident. And this is following foreign armies that had raided his territory and stolen or killed all of his livestock. I mean, Job had lost everything. And yet Job arises... He takes off his robe, tears his robe, shaves his head in grief and mourning, falls to the ground, and he worships God, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. See, friends, Job believed that God was sovereign. Job believed that God was faithful. Job believed that God's plans are always right and always good, even when they don't make sense to us. And so having a vision of a big, sovereign God, friends, allows us to hope in the midst of the trials of our lives. But, but the second blessing of God's sovereignty is that it also frees us to forgive those who've hurt us. We see this in Joseph's response to his brothers. Here were these scoundrels who sold him into slavery, leaving him for dead, lying to his father that he had been torn to pieces by wild animals. We already have seen earlier in the story, these guys were wicked, perverse men. They didn't deserve forgiveness. And yet Joseph forgave his brothers. Why? Because he recognized God's sovereign plan throughout all that had happened to him. He recognized that, yes, his brothers in their evil and sin and wickedness had sold him into slavery. But he says to them, you didn't send me here. God did. God did. 
Joseph recognized the hand of God at work even in the pain and hurt and evil that had been against him by his brothers. And in recognizing God's sovereign plan in his life, he was able to forgive. He was able to forgive. You know, friends, just like with Joseph and his brothers, we need to understand that God will sometimes use the sinful acts of others against us. He will sometimes use the hurts and wounds that others commit against us to accomplish his plans and purposes for our lives. And when we recognize that, when we recognize God's sovereignty and his orchestration of all that transpires, that gives us a basis to forgive. It gives us a basis to love our enemies and bless those who persecute us. Because God is sovereign and in control of all that happens. This past week, Wednesday evening, I, I watched a great movie with my daughter Addie. The movie Unbroken. Many of you probably seen that movie, the story of Louis Zamperini. Addie had recently read the book and so she wanted to see the movie. If you're not familiar with the story, Louis Zamperini was serving in World War II in the Air Force when his plane was shot down over the Pacific Ocean. Louis Zamperini, as their raft was being riddled by enemy bullets and surrounded by sharks, cried out to God, God, if you save me, I'll serve you the rest of my life. Over the course of the next few years, Zamperini spent times of incredible hardship in numerous Japanese prison camps where he was brutally tortured, beaten regularly, just, just humiliated and degraded by wicked, evil men. Louis Zamperini survived all of these hardships and trials and made it back to the United States at the end of World War II, and he, he fell into alcoholism as a result of his pain and distress over all that he had experienced. But he was eventually saved. He heard the gospel. He came to Jesus Christ, and God did a work of transformation in Zamperini's life. And Louis Zamperini, years later, would go back to Japan as an evangelist with the Billy Graham Association. And he literally forgave those who had tortured and persecuted him. How could he do that? It's because he recognized that God was sovereign over his life. That these men may have tortured him, but God had not allowed anything to come into his life that was outside of his perfect will and plan for him. Friends, when we recognize God's sovereignty, it gives us the ability to forgive those who hurt us. You see, friends, it's not always easy to understand God's will. But I'll tell you something this morning. Everything is easier when we trust his will. We can trust and hope in the midst of trials. We can freely forgive those who hurt us. We see God's hand at work throughout Joseph's story. He had a plan and a purpose behind all that had transpired. What was that plan? What was that purpose? The story of Joseph and his brothers, friends, can be summed up in one beautiful word. Redemption. Redemption. To be redeemed is to be liberated from bondage, to be purchased out of slavery. And through Joseph and his brothers, God would display his glory to the world through the beauty and power of redemption. 
Now, friends, when we talk about redemption this morning, it's important to recognize that redemption isn't something that one can affect for themselves. We can't accomplish our own redemption. You can only be redeemed by the action of another on your behalf. And over the course of 22 years, God, in our story as we've seen, God had been orchestrating a marvelous plan of redemption for Joseph, for his brothers, for the family that would one day become the nation of Israel, and ultimately a redemption that would be offered to each one of us here this morning through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would ultimately be descended from the line of Judah, the line of Judah, the royal line. God had a plan, a plan of redemption. This was all a work of God. It was a work of grace. It was a work of redemption. And this leads me to point number three this morning, our our primary application for today. This is a redemption demanding a response. Friends, I want to suggest to you this morning that this story of redemption is a story that demands a response from each one of us here today. It's a story that demands a response for you watching online today. You see, as we recognize how God was working in the lives of Joseph and his brothers, we need to examine our own lives. We need to look into our own hearts this morning. And we need to ask, how might God be working in my life today? In in what ways might God be testing me, refining me, seeking my transformation? And have I, like Joseph and his brothers, humbled myself before God? so that I too might experience the blessing of redemption. This past week I came across the story of one of the great heroes of the faith in the 20th century. One of the great stories of redemption in the 20th century. The story of Chuck Colson. Many of you know Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson served as one of President Richard Nixon's highest aides. He he was at at the right hand of the most powerful man in the world, the President of the United States. He was his legal counsel. He was his political aide. And Colson was intimately involved in the scandal known as Watergate, which ultimately brought Nixon down. Colson would go to prison, and all of his past claims and accomplishments were worth nothing there as he sat in that jail cell. But there in that jail cell, Chuck Colson discovered the gospel of Jesus Christ. His heart was transformed. He was born again. He put his trust in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And God changed his life. When he got out of jail, Chuck Colson began serving the Lord by going back into prisons, sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with other men whose lives had fallen apart who had found themselves in prison, broken, with no hope, and Colson would hold out the message of the gospel. Chuck Colson, in his book, Loving God, recounts one of his early experiences of going back into the prisons. And he shares how as he walked up onto that platform and he looked out at a congregation of inmates, other men whose lives had fallen apart around them and they were now in chains in prison, Colson had this overwhelming thought that his greatest failure 
was actually the beginning of God's greatest use for his life. His greatest failure was the beginning of God's greatest use for his life. See, friends, remember, it's often through the refinement of the tests and trials of our lives that God leads us to redemption, liberating us from the bondages that enslave us. And maybe you find yourself in a difficult place today. Maybe your sin has brought you to places you never thought you'd be. Maybe you've been burdened by the weight of your rebellion, by by the weight of the guilt that just burdens your heart today. And maybe you're looking for liberation. Maybe you're hoping that something can, can bring you the freedom you desire. You know, if that's where you are this morning, friends, I want you to remember that God is in the business of bringing redemption out of the wreckage. God's in the business of transformation. You know, when we see a mess, God sees the potential for a masterpiece. But you have to trust him. You have to put yourself in his hands. You need to remember that he is the potter and we are the clay. And that it's only when we submit ourselves to him and humble ourselves before him, recognizing him as our only hope for redemption, that we can experience genuine transformation. I want to invite you to look with me one last time at our text this morning. If you have your Bibles, friends, open to chapter 45. Did you notice what Joseph says to his brothers in verse 4? Look at verse 4. Joseph says to his brothers, Come near to me, please. Come near to me. Friends, there was one final step that had to be taken for this story of redemption to be complete. Joseph's brothers had to respond to his invitation to come. And in the same way, Jesus says to each one of us, come. He invites us to come into his presence today. Come. He awaits the opportunity to liberate you from your personal bondages. Come. He longs to comfort all of your hurts and pains. Come. And he promises blessings in his presence forevermore. Come. Come. Will you answer his call this morning? Will you come? Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this powerful story of transformation that we see here in the lives of Joseph and his brothers. We thank you, God, for giving us this powerful illustration to remind us that no one is too far gone for your amazing grace. That even when your work of transformation spans years and years and years, we can continue to hope in you, we can continue to trust, we can continue to pray, knowing that your timing is not always our timing, but we can look to you, our sovereign God, in faith and hope and trust. Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you that you are good and faithful, and we thank you that we can trust in you no matter the trials we find ourselves in. And Lord, we thank you that you're the God of transformation who promises to do a powerful work in each of our lives 
if we'll simply come. Jesus, you extend to us this amazing invitation to come. And I pray that none of us here this morning would leave if we need to come into your presence today once again and experience your grace, your forgiveness, the power of redemption. If there's anybody watching online this morning who needs to experience your grace, your forgiveness, the power of redemption, liberation from their personal bondages, Jesus, I pray right now that they too would come. Come into your presence, acknowledging our guilt, confessing our sins, and turning to you, the one who can liberate us from them all. We thank you that you're a God of amazing grace. We thank you that through your shed blood on the cross, you have forgiven all of our sins and given us the opportunity for new life if we'll simply come. We thank you, Jesus, for that great promise, that amazing grace. May we never take it for granted. And may none of us, none of us reject that invitation to come. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. And just a reminder, after our benediction, our ushers will dismiss you row by row. So I'm going to invite you to just stay where you are, remain standing or seated until our ushers come to dismiss you. I want to leave you today with a great verse from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may overflow with hope. May God bless you this week. I love you, church. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage. And we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.